0: I can say this because one of my kids is downstairs and the other one is home, sick, or snot, it's not really sick, a lot of snot, it's it's just, but if I had to read one more book, one more Christmas book that talks about this being a joyous season, or this being a happy season, or, or my favorite, a joyous, happy season, like, can we come up with some other kind of adjectives for Christmas? I think I might just scream, because... I do not feel very happy or joyous. I normally don't at this time of year. What I do feel is tired. My body hurts from carrying twins up and down stairs and sick boys up and down stairs. My, my stomach is upset because all I seem to be eating is um, old cookies and tons of coffee because I'm so tired. And then one of my kids ends up in the hospital this week be- the week before Christmas. To say that I am happy or, or joyful right now would just be a lie. And to be honest, I, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. And I know there are a few people who are probably going to be upset with me for saying what I just said. Pastor, pastor doesn't tell people he or she is tired. Pastor supposed to work tirelessly and without complaint. His family's supposed to be perfect in every single way. and They must never complain so that they might be true to their calling as a pastor. Everybody else can complain about them or complain about their lives, but the pastor has to be perfect, right? But I'm, I'm not your typical pastor. And I can tell you, as, a, as both a pastor and a pastor's kid, that pastors and their families are no different than your family. We struggle, we grieve, we laugh, and we cry. Just like you. Just like all church leaders do. Just like Jesus. I mean, do you know how many times it's recorded in scriptures that Jesus just wanted to get away from the work of ministry and just take a nap? And do you know how many times he complained about the fact that everyone keeps following him around and interrupting his nap time? Numerous times. You can be tired. You can... Hate the season of Christmas, the American version, whatever you want to call um, what happens at Christmas. You, you, can, you can hate it all and still love Jesus. But yet, that's a hard dichotomy to, to hold on to, right? And we keep chasing this notion of a, of a, of a, of a perfect Christmas and, and never seem to find it, right? We come into this holiday expecting you know everything to be perfect—the perfect meal, the perfect gift. I mean, Hallmark itself has capitalized on this and made millions, if not billions, of dollars on movie that describe Christmas as finding your true love at a town festival at Christmas time. That's what Christmas is. You know, I would just love to watch a Hallmark movie where the main character show up to Christmas uh, to worship on Christmas Eve instead of showing up to a parade or a town festival. I mean, it's called Christmas—Christ Mass. Mass. Worship. Christ Mass. Go to worship to worship Christ on Christmas. It, I mean, Kevin McAllister did it. And he went home and foiled the plan of two cat burglars. You know, why can't we do that, right? And Hallmark calls their movies wholesome. Family movies. But And, and maybe they are. Maybe, and maybe, and it, you can disagree with me. But, but I don't think they always portray reality. I'm not saying you can't enjoy Hallmark movies or that if you do, you're somehow doing Christmas wrong. Man, I like Christmas movies. Thomas and, and Isaiah have been watching Christmas movies since before Thanksgiving. I have seen the Santa Claus like 15 times today. But, I, but what I am doing, what, um, is calling out this idea that, that Christians need to be joyful and happy. At this time, of year because it's simply not true. It's not part of the Christian narrative, nor is it, the Christian, nor is it true to Christmas itself. In fact, Christmas started out pretty chaotic. We sometimes forget this, or we downplay the, the real story of Christmas into this beautiful, nice story of a six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, right? The story of Christmas starts out by describing a family in crisis. Should Joseph stay with his engaged woman named Mary? Or should he dismiss her? And should he dismiss her in a way that might get her killed? for adulterous behavior. The story of Christmas includes the Holy Family having to make a difficult choice of leaving behind their support system and home in Nazareth to travel many miles to a podunk town called Bethlehem, while Mary is near birth, time to give birth. It's a, this Christmas story is a story of how the great Savior of the world, the one whom the that John says was there in the beginning when God's spirit moved over the waters and called light into being. The very manifestation of God himself. It's a story of God being born, not in a palace or being welcomed into the palace of Augustus or Quinerius, but was born in a stable, a cave, because nobody in the town was willing to give up their room to a woman lady. The story of Christmas is not a story of joy and happiness. Rather, it's an indictment of the world's most hideous behaviors. Of, of outsiders getting it before the so-called insiders. But it's also a story about power being disrupted of hope in hopeless situations. We have been sold this idea that, that the perfect Christmas is obtainable. If you, if you don't, and if you don't feel joy or happiness this season, then somehow... Someone or something is to blame. You you didn't shop here. That's why your kids are raving lunatics. It's not because they've eaten a bunch of raw cookie dough and are running around the house like crazy because they're so excited for Christmas coming. No, it's, it's your fault that Christmas isn't perfect. We're so busy trying to create, and at times... Purchase Christmas perfection that that we miss, just how holy of a time this season can be, especially for people who are grieving and feeling hopeless. On this night when we set aside time and space for people who are grieving, I think it is important to remember that the story of Christmas is the balm to our aching hearts. It is the healing that we can cling to this this night, because there is nothing perfect about the Christmas story. You know, one year when I am not so tired of Christmas time, so probably when I retire and the kids are well out of the house, I would really love to spend time in a religious community focusing on what comes after the Christmas story, the feast days that follow December 25th. And there are a number of feast days that happen between December 25th, Christmas Day, and Epiphany. December 26th, anybody know? Feast of St. Stephen? He was, who was he? First martyr? That's a weird time to celebrate the first martyr, the day after Christmas. December 27th? It's a weird one. St. John the Evangelist? St. who is supposedly wrote, uh, who we attribute John, the, the fourth gospel to. But, you know, in that gospel, he doesn't ever talk about the birth narrative at all. Him and and Mark leave it out. It's strange. And then you have December 28th. The Feast of the Holy Innocents. Babies who were killed by Herod, the great, the so-called king of the Jews, because he was afraid one of those little babies was going to usurp his power and take away his crown. Neither the church nor the biblical narrative want us to focus focus on just the birth of Jesus at Christmas time, Rather, they both the church and our biblical narrative wants wants us to focus on the realness of God taking flesh and living among us and all the mess that it entailed. God wasn't born in a lap of luxury. He was was born into poverty and lived his entire life in in, in the bottom of his social class. He was born not in the palace that Herod occupied, the great king of Israel, but he was born in a cave behind an innkeeper's home and in place in a food bowl of the local livestock. His birth was greeted with great joy by outsiders, like the dirty, shady shepherds that we hear in Luke's gospel and the astrologers, the magi from Matthew's gospel. But the insiders greet his birth with disdain and death. Herod commits an act of genocide against his own people, just as Pharaoh once did to the Hebrew book. See, the the real Christmas story is a story of God being present with people who have been told their entire lives they aren't good enough. The real Christmas story is not built on illusory hope, romantic love, or unlimited prosperity, but it's built on the fact that God doesn't care what the elite think or try to do. God is going to show up and be with us, with you, in a way that no one else can be. God promises us that he will be with us in our suffering. God doesn't promise that a Christian's life will be void of suffering. That's really a trademark of modern Christianity. Suffering is this and is something that we, that we as Christians should not flee from but should embrace just as Christ was willing to embrace his cross and suffering. Where this world sighs in grief and pain, the Spirit, though, promises us a glory which has not yet been revealed to us. The Spirit promises us A time when all things, all our failures, all of our mistakes, all of our pain that we feel in this life will be taken away. And in this new age, God will dispel and wipe away all the tears that our sufferings have created. And we will be set free from the bondage of decay. But that day is not today. Tonight, we sit in darkness. But we don't sit idly by in this darkness. As we sit in the darkness, we acknowledge that suffering, pain, and loss are indeed real and a part of the Christmas story. And in doing so, we cling to the hope and promise that God is with us. That though we lie in labor, groaning in pain and wishing for it to come to an end, we trust that the pain of this time is temporary and will lead to great joy. As Advent reminds us, Christ is coming again. And as Advent shows us through things like this Advent wreath and these candles behind me, you can't snuff out the light of Christ. It just keeps getting brighter. And though we hope in what might be seen as foolishness to the rest of the world, invisible to signs or political, philo- philosophical thought, we cling to it nonetheless. We cling to the hope that the suffering of this present world, of whatever you might be feeling this night, will come to an end and will be ushered in to this new reality prepared by our Lord. It would be easier to believe or convince others to believe in this future if we could see what awaits us. But that isn't the point of hope. As Paul says, for in hope we were saved now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. In this time of grief, pain, and suffering, we wait patiently by praying and comforting one another through mutual consolation. Because in moments like this, we, we, we know and trust the Holy Spirit is indeed interceding for us on our behalf with sighs too deep for words because that is what Jesus does. His birth and story of how he was born how he came into existence and defied the political powers of this world, remind us that you can't get rid of Jesus. That even through the dark, though the darkness seems overwhelming at times and incapacitating, God's light cannot be diminished, but will continue to grow and continue to burn bright. If God is willing to be born in a cave and lay in a cow's food bowl, God is willing to find you wherever, you, wherever you're at and care for you. In a way that you never can imagine. For some of us tonight, the darkness is all too real. And it's so heavy for some of us that we can't even see the way out. It is a major temptation for us who are grieving this season to just try to force happiness on others. Just let, you, let us hug the sadness out of you. Or say things like, turn that frown upside down. Because we like to try to fix things. But what I've learned in 12 years of ministry... Of being a pastor, that the best thing we can do for people who are grieving at Christmas or at any time of the year is to simply sit with them, to not force them to feel anything, to be the light shining in the darkness, to be the hope for what is to come and to give those who are grieving or sad this Christmas season permission to be sad and grieving. You know, Christmas can be a joyous, happy, hopeful season. And I see that every time my kids come down the stairs in the morning, sometimes at 5 o'clock in the morning, they come down the stairs and they see the Christmas tree lit up and their eyes are all glow. I see the joy there. But I also see the joy and hope of Advent and Christmas in moments like tonight. As the body of Christ comes together to offer a hand, a shoulder, a a safe place to cry, And pray as we wait, as we await the day of our Lord's return, when he will make all things new and bring us all into his heavenly kingdom.